Good morning. Take your Bibles. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 16 as we finish out the sermon about discerning God's will, doing God's will, knowing it. You remember a few weeks ago we, we looked at Paul and Silas' second missionary journey they took and they, they came to Troas. They uh, were about to go back northeast into what would have been Bithynia and Asia, but the Holy Spirit forbid them from going there and instead gave Paul a vision of a man standing in Macedonia and saying, please come over and help us. And so Paul discerned from that it was the Lord's will that they go to Macedonia. And from that we established the point in discerning God's will that God's will is greater than our good intentions, right? There's nothing that says anything in the text that Paul's Uh, intentions and desire to go to Asia and Bithynia were anything but noble. He was simply trying to take the gospel to the whole known world of that time. He sensed he should go that way, but the Holy Spirit said, no, I need you to go this way. And he gave him that vision. And they went west rather than east, northeast. And that, many historians will tell you, that really changed the face of the spread of Christianity on the on the map of that time. Today we come to the second point where we say that God's will is greater than our comfort. I'll tell you what that means in a minute. But if you want to follow along, let's look at the passage about what happened after Paul and Silas came to Macedonia and particularly Philippi. And if you want to follow along, I'm reading from chapter 16 beginning in verse 16. And it happened As they were going to a place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. I don't know how she said it. That's my inflection, okay? It's kind of like that valley girl on Spotify that interrupts your songs and she has the most annoying voice ever. You know, that, that kind of that, anyway, I, I'm just trying to, a little bit of interpretation here. She continued doing this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said, of the, said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities, when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them. The chief magistrates tore their robes off them, proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods, and when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So they had a vision from the Lord. I want you to go over here, and immediately they encounter trouble. And I think the point is that God's will is greater than our comfort. You know, Paul gets there, and no sooner does he get there that he begins to be dogged and followed around by this girl with a spirit of divination, this, this evil spirit that just continually is crying out. I mean, they can't hardly have a conversation with someone. And she's screaming the truth, 
she's yelling or speaking the truth, but it's annoying, it's interrupting. It, it may be, I don't even know what the tone, the intonation of her voice was, but obviously this is an annoyance. Paul is annoyed. And so he turns around and he casts the wicked spirit out of the girl. She loses her ability to predict the future, make money for her masters. The golden goose is gone and they're upset, mess with people's money. They're going to come after you. I don't know if this was the mob in, uh, in Philippi, but anyway, they're in big trouble. And so they drag them before the magistrates, beat them up really good, throw them into the innermost part of the prison. So it's not going real well. But I thought, God, I, I thought you gave us this vision to come here and immediately we're in trouble. We're in prison. How are we going to minister from here? How are we going to get anything done here? You see, if Paul had gauged God's will by open doors and ease of ministry, he might have given up very early on in his time at Philippi and Macedonia. He might have determined that that vision was nothing more than having eaten Mexican food too close to bedtime, right? But no, he knew it was a vision from the Lord, and he knew to persist. He had been there too many times, hadn't he? Paul and Silas' experiences are an excellent reminder to you and I that we can be squarely in the middle of God's will and still encounter hardship and difficulty, persecution, and folks, even death and still be absolutely in the center of God's will. <clears throat> you see, I think one of the biggest mistakes Christians make in trying to determine God's will for themselves is that they try to interpret it with the ease with which they can carry it out. You know, we often have a romantic or an idealistic view of God's will, don't we? It usually involves kind of visions of grandeur and little vanity of self and, you know... I'm going to be someone special, have a podcast, be on the speaker's tour, president of the Southern Baptist Convention, you know, those kind of things. But I knew very early on that was not going to be me, that I just need to be Greg, right? I mean, I fought God tooth and nail about him calling me to ministry. I said, God, I am not going to be anything or pretend to be anything that I am not. If, if you call me under those circumstances, I'm in. And he just kept kind of holding my nose in. And I'll tell you my call experience someday. But, uh, you know, I was thinking about the, the cartoon character, Peanuts, where Linus is telling uh, Charlie Brown about his career plans. When I, when I get big, I'm going to be a humble little country doctor. I'll live in the city, see, every morning I'll get up, climb in my sports car, zoom out into the country. I'll start healing people. I'll heal everybody for miles around. I'll be a world-famous, humble little country doctor. We can baptize it with all the humble language we want, but a lot of times our idea about what the will of God is for our life involves us being someone pretty special. And it doesn't always work out that way. Let's don't over-glamorize. Let's, let's don't over-idealize. And, and I think sometimes it's not so much pride as it is idealism. I'm an idealist. Anybody out there an idealist? I am. I have this way that I see things ought to happen and when plans don't go according to the way that I saw them. I learned a long time ago, don't get overly frustrated, go with that, be flexible. Mission trips will break you of that, by the way. If you haven't experienced that, you have to be flexible on mission trips. It rarely goes how you had it planned. Often we encounter hardship and obstacles attempting to do something we thought was God's will, 
And we're tempted to wonder, was it really? Because this is too hard. This is too painful. A person feels led to start a new business. They have a difficult first few years. Maybe it's not very profitable. Maybe it's just an uphill slog and you're fighting codes and zoning and taxes and whatever else it is, competition, and it's just not working out well. And you thought, really, is maybe I missed it on this business. The newlywed expected more wedded bliss and less tension wonders if they chose the wrong person. The church began a building program and hit some difficulties and cost overruns and difficulties about and dif- disagreements about materials and design and so forth. And they wonder, were we really meant to build this new sanctuary or do this new ministry? Just because it's hard, just because you hit difficulty, doesn't mean it's not God's will. But we're prone to believe there's something's God's will. It's going to get done easy. It's just going to happen. Now, does that mean if things do go well and God seems to just kind of blow all the obstacles out of the way that it wasn't God's will? Absolutely not. Sometimes He does that. And boy, we're really grateful when He does. Then we're really sure it was God's will, right, if it goes well. A lot of you prayed a lot for the Chiefs this year, and it worked. Blew all those obstacles out, made all those comeback victories, didn't we? Must have been God's will. I was thinking about an old pastor missionary friend of mine, Norm Howell. I don't know if any of you have heard him. He was a career missionary to Papua New Guinea most of his life. Uh, He came back from the mission field, pastored Skyline Baptist in Branson, Missouri. And when he was on the field, we used to have him come back. We would have a, a missions fair every year, and we would invite several missionaries who were furloughing or stateside assignment, I guess they call it now. Anyway, Norm Howell came, and I remember this. I'll never forget the story he told at our missions conference. But he said that they, they discovered there was this one village way out in Papua New Guinea in the jungle on a mountainside that had never heard the gospel before. And they wanted to try to find a way to reach this place. It was so remote. It was like a two-day walk through jungle and, you know, it was just bug-infested and snake-infested. It was hard to get to. And so they took a helicopter. They flew out there and they dropped this box of leaflets above the village and they fluttered down. And what the message said was, if you want to hear more about the gospel and about Jesus Christ please clear off a landing pad and we will come back in three days. Well, the only problem was nobody in the village read or could read this note. I think it was a completely verbal dialect they had. It was not in written form. It was not what the other Papua New Guineans used back where he was coming to the base of operation. And yet they came back three days later And somehow there was a landing pad. And so they landed and the villagers immediately came up to them excited and told the story. And already God was at work because what had happened was about the time they were dropping the leaflets, a college girl from a city nearby going to college decided to hike home the two-day hike to her parents' village. And she arrived the day the leaflets dropped and was able to translate the letter for them. And thus a landing pad was there, a church was formed, and the rest is history. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes everything just works out. 
But sometimes it's hard, and we should never try to discern the will of God by how easy it is to accomplish, because God's will is greater than our comfort. Take, for example, the missionary William Carey. Now, you've read about him. He had a burden to go to India. He heard about the vast spiritual darkness and how many people were on that continent, how they needed the gospel. He sensed that God was leading him to go there. He approached the Missionary Society in London, and they kind of gave him this statement about, well, God will save the heathen if he intends to without any of help from you or us, which is really unbiblical because Jesus said to go <laughs> to all the nations, take the gospel everywhere. As the Father sent me, so send I you. Send I you. Uh, but eventually, they, I don't know how he, he got permission, but he, the ship is waiting. He goes. His, his wife is reluctant about going, dragging their kids off to some unknown continent. And eventually, she at the last minute changes her mind and gets on the boat with the family. And I'm just thinking what a glorious cruise that was. <laughs> But they go, and they land there, and he does an amazing work. I mean, it's difficult. It's hard. They, their son dies uh, at some point. Their young son uh, passes away there on the field, and his wife suffers an emotional breakdown. I mean, it just, this guy just, he just kept you know, moving forward and, and, and translating Scripture and influencing people and, and, and preaching the gospel and and we know that he did have a huge impact. I mean, India is one of the great strong centers of, of, Christian, of, of, of the Christian faith today and of Christian witness. I mean, they gave us Ravi Zacharias and so many other great saints. But it was hard. I mean, you can't judge the will of God by how easy it is or how hard it is. Hudson Taylor, probably the most successful, well-known of the missionaries to go to China outside of Lottie Moon who is the namesake for our Christmas offering. And this one old guy came up to me and said, well, are we ever going to get her paid off, you know? But uh, it's an offering that we give, and it goes to all foreign missionaries. But, but Hudson Taylor was on the field for seven years. He labored before he saw one person come to Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have that kind of patience. If he had discerned the will of God by how easy it was to accomplish, he would have left China long ago. But he hung in there, and he kept on sharing. He kept writing. He kept preaching, and eventually got that first convert. And we know that today, there's probably more believers in China than the rest of the world combined. We know that when missiologists tell us that by some estimates 90,000 people accept Christ every day, you can bet that a big number of those are happening in China in the underground church behind the bamboo curtain because of people like Lottie Moon and William Carey and Hudson Taylor who went and they labored in a hard place and they made it easy for those who would come after them. And as the old saying that I found to be true, and if you've got it here on the overhead, if you labor without success, someone will succeed after you. And if you succeed without much labor, someone has labored without success before you. Have you ever thought of that? That's so true. So that's why we're called not to be successful. We're, the Bible says it is required of a man or woman that they be found faithful. Harold Robinson used to say that successful witnessing is sharing the gospel and leaving the results with God. 
right? I'm glad that Taylor and Carrie and so many other great saints of old did not give up when the going got tough. I'm glad they didn't discern God's will based on how easy it was to accomplish. I'm glad Paul and Silas didn't discern God's will based on their comfort level because it was hard at Philippi in their setting in jail. But you know the rest of the story, don't you? They're in jail. They're singing praises around midnight. God sends an earthquake which shakes all of the doors and the bars and the stocks that, that fall from their feet. And everyone, all the prisoners could have ran and been free, but Paul encourages them to stay. That Philippian jailer who's been charged with guarding the prisoners runs in. Is about to take his life. Paul says, do thyself no harm. And he says to them, what must I do, sir, sirs, to be saved? And they tell him. And he believes on Jesus that night. And they go. He washes their wounds and their stripes. And they baptize this man and his entire family after they've received Christ. It's an incredible story. And it brings us to the last point, which is that God's will is greater than our expectations. It's, it's always, in the end, greater than anything we could have imagined. And I will say that you may labor your entire life and not see the real fruit and the real outcome and the real value of what you've done for the kingdom. But I'm telling you, if you don't see it in this life, when you step into the next one and you stand before your Lord and He says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, you will see the eternal and spiritual significance of what you've done for the Lord on this earth. God's will is greater than our expectations. God could not have imagined, or Paul could not have imagined that God would send an earthquake that freed him from a jail and led a jailer to accept Christ. And then he goes down to the river to this Bible study. You know, remember, it wasn't easy. There wasn't even a synagogue in Philippi. He, Paul had it easier in other places. He could go to the God-fearing Greeks and the Jewish people in those synagogues, and at least he had a platform with which to start witnessing about this one amazing God, Yahweh God, and say that God is Jesus Christ. He is Lord and God. But here he didn't have that. Just a Bible study down by the river. And Luke tells us that God opened a woman's heart named Lydia to receive Jesus. Lydia and her household became the nucleus for a new church which would grow to be one of the most generous, mission-minded churches in all the Bible. It says she prevailed upon Paul and Silas to stay in her home. That Bible study became the nucleus for one of the greatest churches of all of the New Testament. And as you read all of the Gospels, and as you read all of the epistles, and you realize that Paul authored 13 of those epistles in the New Testament, there's not one church that Paul, you can sense in his words, in his heart, that, that he is more endeared to and more fond of than this group of believers, this church in Philippi. And I can't prove it, folks, but I believe that when, when Paul was sitting down and he was penning Ephesians 3.20, if you want to put that up, I can't prove it, but I believe that he was thinking about that experience that he had in Philippi. All those hardships he faced, but how God from that little nucleus of believers brought something great. If you have faith even the size of a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, move from here 
and it shall move, and nothing shall be impossible for you. And I think Paul's faith was greatly strengthened. And when he was sitting down and pinning Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. I think he was thinking about his experiences and what God amazingly did in Philippi. Can't prove it, but I think he was. God's will is is greater than, than any of our expectations. When you finally find yourself in the center of that, it, you know, you may not be financially, materially rewarded by doing God's will, but you will have a peace and a joy of knowing that you're exactly where God wants you to be, doing what God wants you to do. Now, I want to close because I know that that's not where all of us live. I know that that all of us live in that world where there's too much month at the end of the money and your kids don't always meet all of your expectations and life and career hasn't been everything that you thought it would be. A lot of dashed and unmet expectations, right? That's kind of where we live. Life's tough. And maybe somewhere along the line, you just got caught up in just trying to keep your head above water and to survive and to make it that you quit even asking God, what is your will for me? And I want to encourage you not to, not to do that. Because I believe that, that life is this exciting adventure and this journey. And not every day is just full of bliss and sweetness and honey. But I'm just saying that, that if we really are seeking Him, He will not disappoint. And I remember coming to a, a really low place in my own life and ministry and career where I was beginning to question everything and I, and I felt like nothing was working out, nothing was going like I had intended. And I was really at this, kind of standing there at the, at the abyss looking in and wondering what was next and questioning God. And that's what I like about Job, but at least... As much as he experiences, he never quits talking to God, and I found myself doing the same thing. I was still talking to God. I was a little disappointed in him at this point, and I didn't know which way to go, and I didn't know what was next. And I was watching a movie one night, and I, I use this just for a closing illustration. Do you remember the movie Castaway, Tom Hanks? And he's a FedEx guy, and he's all kind of wired tight, uptight, and always worried about schedules and everything being perfectly efficient and the best way to do everything. He's traveling all over the world. <clears throat> he leaves his fiancée on Christmas Eve and she wants him to stay, but he goes to Russia anyway. And on the way back, a plane crashes. He ends up a castaway on this island. He's the only survivor. A lot of the FedEx packages are washing up on the shore and he's collecting those and trying to figure out how to survive. And he's there for four years. And he survives for four years and eventually makes a little raft, gets off the island, and is seen by a tanker and picked up and brought home. The final scene of the movie, and I only share this because God used it to speak to me. I don't know, maybe he will you. Uh, I, I, you should watch the movie. But in the final scene of the movie, he, you know, he's lost everything. His fiancée's moved on with life. She, she just decided he was dead. She... Married a guy and had a family. So he lost the love of his life. 
think things have kind of moved on as far as his career. He's not sure, is this what I'm really going to do? I mean, when you have that kind of experience, it kind of makes you evaluate everything. So at the end of the movie, he's got one package, if you want to put that up. It's the only one that washed up on the shore that he didn't open. They asked Robert Zemeckis what it was, and he said it was a solar-powered cell phone. <laughs> Just joking. You don't know what's in the package. It's the only one he doesn't open. It has the angel wings, and for some reason, it's just kind of this symbol of hope for him that he hangs on to for that whole four years. He even brings it back on the raft with him. He brings it home, and he decides, I'm going to deliver this package. So he finds himself out in this, out on the prairie in West Texas somewhere, and he, he's probably hoping to meet the owner of the box. He goes up on the porch, and he writes this note. This package saved my life. We don't understand exactly how. I think it's just a symbol of hope that kind of kept him waiting and hoping that he would see civilization again and people, Chuck Nolan. He leaves it on the porch. He goes down the road. He gets out of his car. You show the next one. He's standing at this crossroad. Remember the woman comes by in the pickup and says, you know, if you go that way, you go to Canada. If you go that way, you go to Amarillo and eventually California, and that way goes back to wherever. And I think this is kind of a, I, th I think the reason I identified with that is because I felt like that's where my life was at that point, in a symbolic fashion. Like I, I'd felt trapped by life, I'd felt like life was going nowhere, but when you know the Lord Jesus Christ, that's not true, you're never trapped you're never the victim. You're never caught by your circumstances. With Jesus Christ, all things are possible. He has a, a future. He knows the plans that He has for you, right? To give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29. We shouldn't only quote that part, we should quote the rest, but that's true. And I think in that moment, as I watched Him and, and, and the music kind of keys back in and, and he's looking and he's it, it occurred to me that when you're a believer life is an adventure and the best is awaiting you that God has something out there for you you're not trapped you're not stuck you can get out of that there's something else that God has he will make a way for you with the temptation he will give you a way out I mean Exodus is all about he will make a way for you to, to get out of this slavery. You're never a slave. You're never trapped. You never are hopeless. You don't have to be hopeless as you know the Lord Jesus Christ because I think he began to realize in the movie that the whole world was, was ahead of him. He could, he could grieve about losing his fiancée. He could grieve about being you know, you know, caught on this island for four years and losing four years of his life, but he chose not to do it. I think he was beginning to see no all of life, the, the adventure that it is, is out there ahead of me. And I hope that you know that in your heart as a believer. The best is ahead of you. You're never trapped. The Lord God is creating for you a future that is wonderful. And if you don't experience all of it on this earth, you will experience it and you will realize it in heaven. I just want to encourage you in that. And I, I'm thinking about Roger being with us today. And what an awesome and amazing thing that God is bringing him here. 
And I know that he and his wife spent time in prayer and they wrestled with that and they, they're on a new adventure to be here, to plant their lives among you, to live here and to become your pastor. And so we just want to continue to lift up Roger in this new adventure of faith that he is about. And it won't all be easy, Roger. You'll hit difficulties and hardships and stuff, but don't discern God's will by that. He brought you here. You're the pastor of this church by His will. And we're so glad to have you here among us. I know I speak for the whole church when I say that.